church. You guys are probably going, what is going on here, man? Jim didn't tell us or nobody told us to greet each other. Yeah, right? Everything's changed up, man. I, I threw a curveball at you guys. That's what I did this morning. And so, again, uh, I just want you guys to look at your bulletins. There's so much going on that, again, uh, because it's the first, Saturday, or first Monday of the month, there's uh, the persecuted church at Jeff and Bonnie's house, Journey to Eternity. If you've lost somebody in your life, man, they will be here tomorrow night. It's a, it's a, a ministry that just kind of brings people together that have uh, lost people in their lives. We have the pulled pork by Blossom happening back there, so go on after church. Take care of that. There's a Mexico missions trip. There's a lot going on um, after each service today. So uh, look for Pastor Daniel on that. And if you're a young adult, they're having young adults tonight. And um, if you're interested, they're going to start setting up for VBS. It's next week already, guys. We're so excited. Next time you come here, if you only come on Sundays, you're going to see a boat in here. And I'm going to be preaching from a boat. And I'm going to tell them, push off a little bit. No, 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 I'm not going to do all that. But it's going to look crazy. It's going to, they're going to start decorating on Friday. If you want to be here, join us. It's going to be amazing. Uh, if you have any questions, Denitza just walked in the door, man. Hey, Denitza, what's up? So... So there's so much. Read your bulletin. Go over it again and again and again. Um, and uh, just find out what's going on. If you have any questions, call the church office. This morning, we have the opportunity to open God's Word. We have the opportunity to read God's Word. And we have the opportunity to study God's Word. And I know that we do that each and every Sunday and on Thursday nights. And I'm so stoked, but this morning, on top of all that that we get to do, we get to partake in communion at the end of the service. And so, again, I just want that your hearts would be prepared to to come and just serve yourself at your leisure. we got some songs going on at the end. And again, just that it would be intimate between you and Jesus, and that it would just be a sweet, sweet time of communion. The fact of the matter is that Jesus is the Word of God. The Word became flesh and it dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That was Jesus. And He came and, and, he, and he took on humanity in order to take away the sin of the world so that He could pay for our sin. Isn't that amazing what He did for us? He paid for our sin through the death on the cross and he shed his blood so that your sins are forgiven you so if you will make your way over to matthew chapter 9 this morning we will be covering verses 1 through 8 as we see once again the authority of king jesus as we've been sharing with you that we are now in this moment in this portion of, of Matthew where, where Jesus is just now showing his authority in such a powerful way. And he demonstrates that in the lives of people, but he gets challenged along the way as we go, we're going to see even this morning. So Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold... 
they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your heart? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. And when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. Blessed be your name, Lord. You are holy, you are upright. You have the power to forgive sin. Lord, you demonstrated that on the cross. And we're so grateful, Lord God, that we get to remember all of that at the end of the service, Lord. You demonstrated your love for us. That you came and you died on the cross for us, Lord. And you proved it at the end, Lord God, by resurrecting from the dead. That you are the only one that can forgive sin. Blessed be your name. We are in awe in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 tells us, and he got into a boat, crossed over. It had already been, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, as we were closing up chapter 8. <laughs> as we closed up chapter 8 last week, it had already been a crazy morning for the disciples. Man, they just saw some zombies basically coming out of the tombs. These naked, crazy men that were cut up, that were chained up, chains broken, all that stuff. Man, it was a crazy scene. (laughs) But all's well that ends well, right? Jesus was in total control of that whole scenario. Everything that was going on, Jesus was in complete control control of everything. The demon-possessed men were set free. They were told that they needed to stay as one of them wanted to get in the boat with them. He says, no, why don't you guys stay? Why don't you stay? The whole city had come out and rejected Jesus. They, 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 They rejected what he had done in somebody's life in that sense. Asked him to leave. And so now it's time to get into the boat once again. I could bet you, man. I could bet you that as they were like, we're getting back into the boat. (laughs) I could bet that one of them at least had to say, are we going to the other side? (laughs) What's the forecast like right now? Is there like any storms along the way right here? Can you just prepare me right now before I get into the boat? Because it had been a crazy night and I know you calmed our fears and we saw this craziness and you did all that. But you want us to be in the you want us to get in the boat. <laughs> I, I I could bet that they just didn't want to find themselves in the same boat that they were in before. Even though they're getting into the same boat that they did before. <laughs> 
I'm sure they're going, man, this is too good. Seeing Jesus calm the storms, the waters, seeing Jesus just cast out these demons and being in full control of everything. And he says, let's get in the boat. They don't want us here. It's like, <laughs> don't you just hate it, man? When, when, when it, it's, it almost seems that you're going back into the same trial you just came out of. And Jesus said, just trust me. Just trust me on this one. I, my, my hope is that these guys had no issue getting back in the boat. Just like we shouldn't have an issue once we're out of a storm and, and we're going back into something that looks like a crazy storm again, that we would go, we've seen them work way too many times. Just in the last 24 hours, it's been crazy. Why shouldn't I trust him? <laughs> and so it says that they got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. The boat ride seemed to be uneventful <laughs> for the most part. And you just have to say, thank you, Jesus, when life is just a little boring and uneventful, right? <laughs> yeah, let's just breathe a little bit. When everything just seems to go like smooth sailing, that we would always just go, thank you, Lord, that my life is boring right now. No drama right now. Thank you, God. Thank you. Because <laughs> you just never know. But it says that he came to his own city. Now, it could mean that he had gone to his hometown of Nazareth because that's where he was from. And some might think that that's what happened. But, but it's likely, not, not likely that that's where they went. From the other Gospels, we know that the story takes place in the city of Capernaum, which happened to be now his headquarters. And he would be there more than he is anywhere. He would spend more time in Capernaum, probably more than likely in Peter's house because he had a house there. More than likely, that's where they're at. And so when we go from verse 1 to verse 2 in, 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 in the Gospel of Matthew here, it, it just seems that Matthew, he just kind of leaves out quite a bit. I don't know why. He just jumps right into the story. But I believe that it's really necessary to know the full story in order to understand why Jesus in the second verse would say that, that, that he saw their faith, that he, that he observed something in the people that were around him that this whole scenario is happening with. You know, if you just read it and didn't understand what's going on, that, then you would probably think that, that this place took, took, took place outside the situation, that Jesus is just going along the way and he saw these people's faith. And all of a sudden, he starts doing all these, these things in this man's life that it just unfolded. But that's not the way it happened. Let, let me read to you, and you can turn over there, but let me read to you Mark's account, kind of quick here, the, verse, the first four verses. Especially if you're not familiar with the four Gospels in that that again, they, they, they have a different view of things. They're, they're not contradicting. They just, they just focus on certain things. If four of us went on the same trip and got up here and we shared testimony, our, our stories would be a little different. 
but it's the same story. And we have the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who basically tell us all the same stories, different viewpoints, different vantage points, if you will. Whereas the gospel of, of, of John is just way different. A lot of it happens down in Jerusalem area, but be that as it may. I want to be able to read to you from Mark because you might be here and you've never been able to read through the Gospels and you're fairly new. And so my heart is that you would understand that there's a bigger picture. And so it's always good to get a full picture in the whole story. And so Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near, him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, so that so then they broke through, let down the man on which the paralytic let, let down the bed on which the paralytic was laying. And we'll stop right there and go back to our text basically. So so now that we have a better understanding of the whole story. As, as, as Matthew just kind of says, oh, they went to Capernaum and they brought him a paralytic. We, we, we understand that, again, they are, this is taking place in the city of Capernaum and in the house. But whose house was it? Well, we're not quite sure, but it could be Peter's house because that's where people would gather, and that was the house. We don't know for sure, but what we do know for sure is that Jesus is in the house. Maybe that's where the term came from. Jesus is in the house. Maybe not. I just put my little spin on there. But be that as it may... There was a buzz that had gone out as Jesus came back from the other side. People had already seen what had happened the day earlier, two days earlier, that he had been out and about healing and touching people. He was in in the town and now he was in the house. And everybody wanted to be there, especially they wanted to be in the house with Jesus, where he was at. And we are told, again, from Mark's gospel, that he was there to preach the word to them, to those who were in and to those who were right on the fringes that probably the the window, man, they're like looking in. They're probably in a place where they they want to hear what he has to say. It's crowded and there's people coming out the doors. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is in town. He's in the house. And people are flocking to this place because they want to hear what he has to say. Now notice 
that it tells us that he was not teaching them, he was preaching. Once again, it probably means that there was a mixed crowd. It wasn't just his disciples that were in there that he needed to teach some lessons to, to grow and stuff like that. He's preaching, and pre- preaching is that you're heralding a message. And so he had a message that he was going to be sharing with those people that were in the house. Up until this point, nobody has gotten healed. Oh, oh, we see Jesus do that before, and he will do stuff like that again. But in this particular story, nobody has gotten healed. And so verse 2 of chapter 9 of Matthew, it says, And behold, they brought to him a paralytic laying in a bed. Again, now we know the full story that these guys had carried this guy. And, and, and they were going to make their way over. We know that there was four guys that were cl- carrying this particular man. And they had gone out of their way, probably, to get him to Jesus. I, maybe they, were, they lived together. I don't know. Or they just did go out of their way. But be that as it may, they have picked him up, literally. He's paraplegic or quadriplegic. I don't know what he is. He's paralyzed. But they pick him up literally. Why they hadn't done that before when Jesus was out healing people, I don't know. But this is I do know. Is that this day, they did something intentional. They went to this man's house to make sure that they get him to Jesus. They, they made that effort. They decided, you know what, Jesus is in the house, or he's in town, he's in that house over there, let's go pick up Joe and take him, whatever his name was. But can you imagine their discouragement as they turn the corner and they see all these people at this house? Can you imagine They'd gone out of the way to pick up this guy, to take care of him, to go, come on, man, we got to get you to Jesus. And they turn the corner and they're going, <sighs> the discouragement that could have came upon them. The easiest thing to do would have been to say, hey, sorry, bro. <laughs> we tried, but we can't even get close to him. We're so sorry that you're just going to have to stay the way you are. There's, there's like no hope for you today. What a sad state that would have been. But that would have been the easiest thing to do. To just give up because it's too busy. It's too much work. We have to like make our way through or something. The only alternative for these guys as they see the crowd is like, well, let's just push through. But here you got two guys on, 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 on two sides, on either side, and you have the guy in the middle. I'm assuming they're, they have him like on four corners or something. And they're, they're, it's like, how are we going to get through? They have to use some drastic measures, and it would almost seem impossible to get through this crowd just to get inside the door and then still to get him to the room where Jesus might be at. The other alternative is, Hey, let's go on the roof and break through. Why not? <laughs> yeah, let's make our way up on the roof. And once we get on the roof, let me see. 
well, let's just start taking the, the roof apart. Why not? What are we going to do after that? Well, we'll let him down. Drop him in? He's already paralyzed. What the heck? <laughs> no, dummy, we're going to get some ropes, and then we're going to lay him down all the way down. We'll get him down there. We have to figure out which room he's in, so we're not jacking up probably. Peter's probably going, what the heck, man? My roof. They were bringing down the roof. Um, but can you imagine the guy who's thinking of this plan and all the other guys going, that's a good plan. Huh. You think it'll work? It'll take a miracle. Have, have fun storming the roof. Go for it. I, I, I love the fact that these guys were so committed that day. That day, nothing was going to get in their way. Not that crowd. If we can't go through that crowd, we're going to go up and around and down if we have to. However we have to do it, this guy today, we need to have him in front of Jesus. And I just feel like, man, that is commitment for these guys. What a pal. What a pal. These guys had, had pinpointed which room Jesus would be in. Maybe they knew the house. I don't know. Maybe they knew where the bigger, however it was. And so the work began. Not just have they been carrying him, but now they have to carry him, make their way up however they have to get the guy up on the roof. And again, usually in those days, the culture was, or the houses were flat. So it wasn't like on a steep thing. It was flat. And somehow they were able to start taking the tiles off, as, as Luke tells us, that they began to take the stuff apart and start how, or however they had to do it. But again, you have the guy's on a bed, on a mat. So it has to be a good-sized hole. So can you imagine the people that are inside, when they start feeling something, it's like it's not stopping. These guys are like, oh, oh, oh. And people, again, probably are probably like, there's no more room, but all this stuff is here. And they see these four guys with this one guy on a bed, and they start letting him down. I don't know what everybody else was thinking, but I could guarantee you Jesus knew exactly what was happening. And I could almost just see a grin on his face going, I love that. I love that people are so committed. They, they, again, they knew what Jesus, maybe, maybe perhaps they knew what Jesus could do. They've seen him do something before. They had brought a man to Jesus who could not bring himself to Jesus. There was no way he could get himself there. These friends of theirs, of his, came out and they went through whatever they had to go through. And it wasn't an ordinary thing. He just didn't break people's roofs off every day. But even though there was so much work involved to get this man in front of Jesus, Jesus didn't, doesn't even pay attention to all their hard work in that sense. And what he sees is their faith. Not so much the guy's faith that, that is on the mat, that is on the bed, but their faith. Somehow, he recognized it. He says, these guys are committed. They know what I can do and the power that I have. 
I, I could almost guarantee, I don't know for sure, that the paralytic man had probably given up on life long ago. He can't do anything. He couldn't function anymore. He couldn't do life the way he used to be able to do life. And I'm wondering if he was even at a point where there was this despair in his life that if, you know, wondering if life was truly worth it anymore. And his friend's going, there's a lot to life. Don't give up. You see, there's people in our lives, people that we work with, people in our own home who have given up on life because they can't seem to get to Jesus on their own. For some reason, they feel paralyzed that they can't make their way to Jesus because of who they are, maybe, because of their sin. Maybe they, felt, they have felt so alienated, so, so helpless. And here we see that Jesus recognizes these men's faith to get this man to him. Again, these guys, they probably had seen Jesus do something like that before or, or touch people. They've seen it, they've heard it, maybe even experienced it themselves. So now that Jesus has acknowledged their faith, the faith of these men, now he's going to spring into action, man. And he's going to act on their behalf, on behalf of their faith. And not only on their behalf, but he is also going to act on the behalf of the paralytic man who doesn't, we don't know about his faith. It's not mentioned at all, but he is going to act on their behalf. And all of a sudden, he says to him, to the paralytic at the end of verse 2, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Son, be of good cheer. Be of good courage. Take heart. Take courage, my son. As opposed to being gloomy and miserable and maybe even defeated in your life and just down of, uh, on life, be of good cheer. It's a whole new day for you because your sins are forgiven you. <laughs> your sins are forgiven you? That's all? That's it? We just did all this stuff? To lower him down, can you imagine this guy's friends as they're still on the roof and they're looking in, they're probably, I don't know, maybe laying, looking in there so they can hear and they can see what God's going to do, what Jesus is going to do, and all of a sudden they hear, be a good cheer. And they're probably going, yes, your sins are forgiven you. Come again. <laughs> Did you just hear what Jesus said right now? What were they supposed to do with that? These men who had this much faith to bring this guy and break some guy's roof and lower him in. What are they supposed to do with them? Well, let's just haul him back up. Start carrying him home. Hey, bro, be a good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. You still can't walk. But your sins are forgiven you. Is it possible that maybe one of them, the one that came up with this crazy idea, maybe shouted to him, he's still on his bed. We're expecting you to heal him and touch him so that he could walk out of here so we don't have to haul him back up. 
We were expecting a healing here, Lord. Now, it is quite possible as you're reading the story that the paralytic man understood completely what had happened to him. And maybe, quite possibly, he was okay with just having his sins forgiven. Maybe he's going, it's worth it, guys. It's so possible that he, he, he was just so grateful that his sins had been forgiven. It meant more to him than anybody understood. Because many commentators believe that this man's being paralyzed had to do with some kind of sin that had happened in his life. And many of these, these commentators said it's quite possible that he had some kind of sexually transmitted disease that brought par- you know, paral- that paralyzed his body. Again, we, we, we're not quite sure. But why would Jesus take that approach? He's already healed so many different people. I mean, we, we don't know if he had healed the paralyzed guy before. But he has touched so many people. He just, he just freed up some demon-possessed guys. Why would he take this route and not just touch the guy and just as he's walking out, tell him, oh yeah, your sins are forgiven you. Wow, why doesn't he do that? Again, it's quite possible that this man, having his sins forgiven, was, was a far greater thing, a far deeper thing than just being physically healed. That, that, that he was just like, be on this bed for the rest of my life now because you've forgiven me. You see, someone who is in sin is oftentimes paralyzed. And there's so much guilt and there's so much weighing on them that life just takes a toll on them because of their sin because what they have committed, because of what they've gotten themselves into, that they just feel paralyzed. And to hear God say, I forgive you. He'll deal with the consequences. He'll deal with the consequences for the rest of your life, Lord. Thank you that you've just forgiven me of all my sin, Lord. It doesn't matter at this point. You see, somehow Jesus... Jesus just kind of reached down and dealt with the real issue here in that person's life. He knew what the need was. This man needed to hear those words. Nobody else probably understood that. He had gone far deeper than anybody could ever go in healing him from the inside. Outwardly, he looked the same. Earlier again, as we've already read and studied through Matthew, Jesus had been teaching people or or healing people. And people had, had new lives in that sense. But this time, this time as he is preaching to this crowd, now he's going to teach them a lesson. 
He's going to teach them something that's big, that's huge, than any outward sin or any outward consequence. He's, he's going to deal with somebody's heart in front of everybody. And he kind of gets to the core of where real healing needs to take place before any outward healing is really manifested. And that's on the inside. You see, we could be of good health. We, we, we're not like this man. But we're paralyzed inside. Life has taken a toll inside. Because of our sin. Because of where we're at. And life could look good on the outside all over the place. And yet our insides, we're dying inside. And all we need to hear from Jesus is, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven you. You can, you, 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 you can live on. You see, he knows the real need. Physical need, physical outside stuff. Again, man, man, we we all want to walk. We all want to function. We all want to do those kinds of things. But inwardly, if we're if we can't, it just debilitates the rest of our life. But he knew the real need here. And what Jesus has just said has raised some eyebrows in that room and on the roof. <laughs> oh, this man's friends, man, their eyebrows got. He's like, say what? That's it? We wanted a healing for our friend. But there was others inside the house that day whose eyebrows were raised as well. And Jesus wanted to get their attention as well. Because it tells us in verse 3, and at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. Wait a minute. How did these cats get inside? I, these guys are the religious leaders. How is it that they got inside? It's obvious that they got there early because <laughs> nobody else could get in. So they must have gotten in early to be there. Or is it possible that Jesus knew that they were outside and he called for somebody and said, get those guys in here. I, I, I have some, a front row for them. Because they need to see the Son of Man at work. And they brought them in the house. Were they there in faith? <laughs> Perhaps not. Were they there to find fault? Yeah, of course. These guys have already heard what has been happening in Capernaum. They've already heard all the stories in that whole region of what's going on. And it tells us from the Gospel of Luke that they had come as far away as Jerusalem to come and check this guy out. So more than likely, that's why they are there. And now they've heard what they wanted to hear. Hmm. They've heard it. You see, they heard that people were getting healed. And it's quite possibly they've seen people getting healed. And is it possible that Jesus wanted them inside the house to hear what he had to hear, what they had to hear, so that they would believe in him. That he was the Messiah that was 
that was, co- uh, that was coming, the one that they should have known about because they knew the scriptures all too well. But instead, as soon as they heard what he said, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you within themselves. He says, this man blasphemes. And what they say here is a true statement in a sense. Nobody would be able to speak like that. That would be blasphemous for somebody to say, your sins are forgiven you. Nobody can forgive sin. Nobody can. Not in that way, especially the way Jesus said it. Now, if you sin against me or if you do something to me, and you come back and you ask for forgiveness, then I say, your sins are forgiven you of what you've done to me, the action that you took toward me. Your sins are forgiven. Yeah, right on, man. All cool. But if I turned around and said, all your sins, my son, are forgiven you. You say, geez, it's gotten to his head. He's a big cheese and all, but he's not big daddy. Uh-uh. Come on, Zeke, man. You can't, you can't say that. You can't say all your sins are forgiven you. I don't have the right nor the power to forgive all sin. Again, if you hurt me or if you jack me or whatever it happens, and then we make up, of course, your sins are forgiven, man. I've sinned way too much to, to, have, to hold anybody's sins against them. But I could not say what Jesus said. And it's interesting because the other two Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, they tell us that when they said this man blasphemes, that they also said no one can forgive sins but God alone. And that is a true statement. They understood that. Because only God, the God of the Jews, the Almighty God of heaven and earth, is the only one that could and can forgive sin. Him alone. You see, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many sins you forget, you, you, you've committed. He is able to forgive. He has the power to forgive. He can forgive you right now with what you're, you've gone through, where you're at. If you're a non-believer and you're going, man, I've never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I don't have to go here. Here you go, Brostein. You're all forgiven. You can sit there and go, Lord, forgive me of my sin. And your sins are forgiven. All of them, past, present, and future. You could be a Christian right now who is caught up in sin. And to be able to turn to him and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Can you forgive me? The Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is able to do that, and he will do that. He doesn't play around with that. He doesn't say, well, you know what, man? Once you do X, Y, and Z, then come back and and, and we'll talk. No, he sees your heart, just like he sees these guys' heart and sees their thoughts and understands what's going on. He is capable. He is so willing to forgive sin. And what Jesus was saying and doing here was making himself out to be God. That's what he was saying and doing right here. 
the God that has the power to forgive sin. You see, he did not think it was robbery or something to be grasped, to be equal with God. He knew he was God and he knew the power that he had and, and he is going to demonstrate that power in just a little bit. Now, I can understand why the scribes are checking Jesus out. I can totally understand that. I can understand even why they are questioning his authority and his claims. It was their position to do that. They were supposed to be checking this guy out. They would come from far and wide to make sure that this guy was legit, and to them, nobody was ever legit who had claims like this because Jesus wasn't the only one who claimed to be God in that time frame. And so they had all these people. And so here's another one that, that is claiming all these kinds of things. And so they had every right to call anybody out who made a claim such as this and say, blasphemy. It is blasphemy because nobody can do that except God. And you're not God. Nobody was ever found to be true in saying something like this. Except now. God is in their midst. God is in the house. He is forgiving somebody's sin. And he's going to prove it to them. Just to show you, he says, basically. That you may know <laughs> that I have the power. But it's funny because he says earlier than that. <laughs> which is easier to say. Your sins are forgiven you? Or to tell somebody, rise up and walk. Well, <laughs> we know what's easier. But it's fascinating because Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows their thoughts. He knows their heart. He knows what they're reasoning amongst themselves. And as they think these things and maybe whisper, he says, why, why do you say such things? Or why do you, you know, think evil in your heart? He knows all of that. Again, this should, that should have blown them away. <laughs> as soon as they go, this guy's blaspheming, and he says, why do you say that? <laughs> they should have were like, whoa, how do you know what we said? That should have just blown them away. They should have bowed down right there and then and said, you are the Messiah. Because <laughs> nobody can know men's hearts except God. And so he goes on to say, so which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise and walk? Now, of course we know which is easier to say. Hey, your sins are forgiven you. Anybody can make that claim. <laughs> Anybody can say that. Now, I would venture to say that maybe the paralytic man knew for sure that his sins were forgiven. Nobody else would have known except that man. Because I truly believe that when he heard those words, there was an overwhelming peace that came over him. That he would be totally satisfied to lay on his bed for the rest of his life. But he knew. He knew. Nobody else would know. I could guarantee you that if I, if I look at Kurt over here and it's like, hey, Kurt, your sins are forgiven you. He'd still feel the same way 
as he did when he walked in because he's a sinner. He's, he's brutal. <laughs> he wouldn't be nothing. He'd go, Zeke, there he goes again. What happened? I, I, I truly don't believe that there would be this overwhelming peace that he received when God truly saved his soul. And he knew that he was free. This guy probably did. And yet we don't hear a word from him when he's going, so my sins are forgiven me? He doesn't say a word. I think he truly received it. As paralyzed as he was in the physical sense, he was totally healed on the inside, spiritually speaking. Oh, I'm sure maybe he would want a physical healing as well. But I would say that he received something far greater and far deeper than any physical healing. What, What good is it Or what good would it be to be physically healed and still be lost for all eternity? But I would venture to say that some people would be okay with that. As long as my life is okay. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke about ten lepers who, who, who had come to Jesus and they said, have mercy on us. And he does. He says, without, t- without cleansing them right there and then, he just says, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them came back. And Jesus says, hey, wasn't there 10 of you? <laughs> and only one of you have come back? I could guarantee you that man was more cleansed than any of those guys were. They walked away and they were still in their sin. This man came back and it says that he was made well. And I would say inside. You see, here he calls himself. He says that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. He calls himself the Son of Man because he was truly the man. (laughs) In other words, he was the representative man that came in the line of David This was his his human title as God, the Son of Man. But you see, the scribes that were sitting there, when they heard him say that you may know that the Son of Man has power to do this, they knew exactly what that meant. They knew that where it was from, because that came from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where it says, I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Verse 14, Then to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. You see, they knew when he called himself Son of Man that he was proclaiming to be God. And so Jesus, to point a, prove a point here, that he is God the Son, that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, 
that he has the, the power, authority, jurisdiction, liberty, right, and the strength to free people from their sin. <laughs> Tells this paralytic man, arise and walk. Arise. Now, now this is where the paralytic's faith has to come into play here. It has to. Because Jesus told them, arise and take up your bed. He hasn't said a word. And all of a sudden, he has to make a move. He makes a move that he's not been able to make in a long time, however long he had been paralyzed. He makes a move. That took faith. He could have just said, come on, dude, I can't move. What are you thinking? Why would you even say that? But somehow, he realized, it's my time to move. My time to act. If I have been freed from my sin, then I could get up and walk. I'll do it. <laughs> it doesn't tell us that Jesus reached down to grab him. It doesn't say that his friends helped him. The man on his own, when he was confronted with God forgiving his sin, acted on that. He acted. And he was paralyzed no more. He was free. Inside and out. My goodness. The, the miracle that is taking place here is amazing. Again, we don't know how long he had been paralyzed. We don't know if he was one side paralyzed. We don't know. We don't know if he was a paraplegic or a quadriplegic. We don't know. But he was paralyzed. But either way, <laughs> you know that there's some atrophy that has taken place in his, in his muscles. He has not been able to use those muscles for a time. And, and for Jesus to not just say, hey, get up, which would have been like, that's going to take like months of therapy, man. You're kidding me. And you want me to pick something up at the same time? My insurance doesn't cover that. <laughs> that would take a miracle. But to prove that he is God, that he has the power on earth to forgive sin, he said to the man, Arise, take up your bed, your, your mat, your bed or your mat, and go to your house. And verse 7 <laughs> And he arose and departed to the house. Woo, there was a spring in his step. He'd carry anything on his shoulders now. He's been healed. Inside and out, he was healed. There was a new life for this man. Can you imagine what he must have been thinking? This man has given me the power to walk free. He had a new life. Nothing, I could guarantee you nothing was going to hold him back because he was freed inside and out. And verse 8. And when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. There, there, there are those people who would say, unless I, I see it, I won't believe it. These guys saw it. Everybody saw it. What would they do with that? 
Well, I would say that the common people that were in that house that saw it, and even those that knew him outside, says that they marveled. And that word marveled is an interesting word in the Greek. It's phobio. It's where we get our word phobia from. To frighten, i.e. passively, to be alarmed. By analogy, to be in awe of, i.e. revere. Be afraid. Fear exceedingly. Reverence is that word. Boy. They marvel. They're like, what? Thank you. <laughs> she saw my notes. I said, what? <laughs> they were in awe, but there was a fear that came upon them, not a bad fear, not a negative fear by any means. And they glorified God. That's what it did to them. They realized the power of God and they glorified God. <laughs> Who had given such power, such authority to men. I truly believe that they they understood the depth that day. Those who were in the house and saw this man, they understood the depth of this healing. That it went far greater and far deeper than anything they could ever have imagined or had ever saw in their life. The scribes, on the other hand, <laughs> they went back and they reported all that they had seen and heard. And it would be that group that would eventually crucify Jesus for blasphemy. You see, they charged him with blasphemy that day. And they never forgot it. Instead of glorifying God for what he had done by giving that much power to that man who is probably the Messiah, they would end up crucifying him for all these wonderful works. And that would result in Jesus dying for the sins of the world. <laughs> Jesus going to the cross would bring about a forgiveness of sins, guys. A forgiveness of sins. That's what we need in our lives. Because sin paralyzes. Sin keeps us away from God. And God says, I will send my son. And he will die on the cross. And he will forgive you of your sins. And again, anybody, there was a lot of people that died on the crosses back then. But to prove that your sins are forgiven, you know what he did? He raised himself from the dead three days later. That was proof positive that when you ask for forgiveness because we serve the resurrected Lord, your sins are forgiven you. And I don't know if, if you're here this morning and you have been struggling with sin and you've been paralyzed in your life and you've been held down and you cannot function because sin has taken a toll in your life. And I'm here to tell you, not by my own authority, but by the authority that Jesus has given to me from his word, your sins can be forgiven you because of what his word says. 
because of what he did on the cross, your sins can be forgiven you. Oh, I remember that day oh so well. When my situation didn't change, but inside I knew something had happened that day. Oh, that you would experience that today. And if you're a Christian here today, maybe you feel so weighed down because you're caught up in sin. He wants to free you from that as well. So that you could walk and carry Him with you. You're free. You're free indeed. What, a, what an awesome opportunity we have this morning. We're going to close in prayer. The worship team will be up here. They're going to play two songs. And you can come up at your leisure to receive the elements. They're, they're on either side down here. What an amazing time to ask for forgiveness, to be cleansed. Because I know that some, when we have communion and we pass it out or even this, you're going, I can't walk up there right now. I just don't feel like Jesus can forgive me. It's like, please don't do that. Ask for forgiveness. You and him. Partake. You see, it was his body and his blood that he sacrificed on your behalf so you don't have to. He paid the price for you. If you're not a Christian, it means nothing to you unless you ask for forgiveness first and foremost. Let him come in, cleanse you, and then receive him through communion in that sense. Again, brothers and sisters, be freed. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is, Lord, to know that this morning we get to celebrate communion. Lord, we've gotten to open your word. We've gotten to, to read your word. We've gotten to study your word and go deeper than what it just says right here, Lord God. The fact that you came to this earth to die for our sins so that we can be forgiven. And you proved it in this story this morning by forgiving this man. And then you raised him up to prove that you had that power. Lord, I pray for those who are in the room right now. Lord, you know them. You know those who are not Christian right now or, or, or maybe thought that they were and they haven't been. And Lord, today I pray that they would repent, turn to you and ask for forgiveness. I pray that if there's brothers or sisters in here who have called themselves Christians but have caught themselves in sin and they, and they just feel like, Lord, I can't. Lord, we want to bring those to you too. That you, that, that you would forgive them and that they would receive that so that they can get up and continue to walk with you. So right now as we're praying, if that's you, if, if, if you don't know Jesus or if you're a Christian that's caught up, I just want to pray for you so that by the time you come up here and receive, you're all good. Is there anyone in this room right now that will say, Pastor, I am so far away from God. Please pray for me. Pastor, I don't even know if I'm a, I'm a Christian right now. Please pray for me. Is there any? Just slip your hand up right where you're at. Everybody's praying for you right now. that you would be cleansed. Mm. Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that my brothers and sisters who are sitting in this room right now, Lord God, 
would feel such freedom that they can get up and walk and that they would come and receive these elements, Lord God, who are, that, that's just symbolic of your body and your blood and that they would receive it with joy and that they would continue to walk with you, Lord, as they remember what you did on the cross for us. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, Lord. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I'm going to be sitting up here. If you need, maybe you didn't raise your hand, but if you need Jesus in your life, come and sit down with me. I want to just lead you into prayer. Maybe you're a Christian who's just been struggling. We'll have prayer teams a little later, but if you need to come up here, I just want to pray for you. So bless your, bless you, bless you. I was going to say 